So let's start. We're going to talk about peace. And I want to obviously make it insightful, something that you never thought of. You know, there's a lot of religions that claim they're the religions of peace. So here goes again. Judaism is Judaism a religion of peace. So that's something that we need to try and understand. And the basic answer is yes. But Judaism is also realistic. And we have to redefine peace as well. So I'll start off with a story. There's a famous story of the Chafetz Chaim, who uh, not long after Sukkot, which is the holiday where we sit outside in huts and we buy a lulav and a trog, which is like a lemon-looking fruit, a citrus, or for the holiday, a, one of his students came and showed him the etrog that he was buying. And he asked him, is it nice? What do you think of it? It was the most expensive etrog in his town, very, very expensive uh, fruit. And you know that if they're, they're rare, to have them perfectly clean. And the Chafetz Chaim looked at it and said, it's the most beautiful thing I've seen. And he buys, obviously, this uh, wealthy guy buys the etrog and um, enjoys his Sukkot. But not long after Sukkot, the story goes that uh, there was a dispute with this wealthy guy who bought the etrog, paid hundreds of rubles, hundreds of dollars for this little fruit. And uh, not long after Sukkot, there was a story of this wealthy guy who had a dispute, a monetary dispute. And who did they bring it before? They brought it before the Chafetz Chaim. They had a big argument uh, in, in money. And they brought the argument before the Chafetz Chaim. And he looks at his uh, wealthy uh, student, who's doing very well, and, who, and he looks at him and says to him, you may be winning the case, but I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you know, just recently, you were willing to pay how much for your etrog? Obviously, he said it in a very nice way, much nicer than I would say it. But how much were you willing to pay for your etrog? So he said, you know, 300 rubles or hundreds of dollars. You're willing to pay for something that's not even a requirement. It's a beautiful thing to have. It's not a requirement. And you're willing to pay so much money. This whole dispute is the same amount of money and not being in, the, in a place of argument, not being in a place, being in a place of peace is worth much more than what you spend or whatever you will spend on a beautiful etrog. We've got your proportions wrong. And that's really the message here that we as humans think that, and I wrote this down, we think it's, it's, it, Peace is all about everybody else besides for myself, right? We think that uh, I, I, I need to, I'll spend money on everything, but never think of spending money and making a peaceful resolution. But that's actually worth it. How many times do people get in an argument over $10? Is, 10, is your argument worth $10? Is the mitzvah of not arguing worse, worth $10? It's worth way more. You'd pay money for a mitzvah. You'd pay money for a keeper. You'd pay money for tefillin. You'd pay money for tzitzit. You'd pay money for... So what about paying money for the mitzvah of not getting into an argument? Such a profound idea. Similar story also. You see these ideas many times. There was once a Hasidic uh, teacher, a rabbi, and um, a poor member of his community comes to him and says, listen... Uh, Rabbi, I don't know what to do. I have no money and I don't know how to survive. We have a big family. I don't know what's going to be. 
So the Rebbe says to him, I don't understand. You have a brother who lives not so far away, who's very, very wealthy. He supports so many people in this community. You ever went to him? He says, no, Rabbi, it's very, it's complicated. It's family. When it comes to family, it's not so simple. So the rabbi said, really? Okay, let me deal with it. Late at night, it's a very holy rabbi. Late, late, late at night, he goes knocking on the door of this wealthy man's home. He knocks on the door and eventually the guy opens up and he looks and he can't believe it. The rabbi came to me at this time of night. Must be something desperate. He says, come in, rabbi, come in. What's going on? What do you need? Anything. I'll give you whatever you want. Do you need a check? Do you need money for somebody? I'll give you whatever you need. So the rabbi says, yes, I need, I need help for somebody who's in a very bad situation, very bad economic situation. He needs your help. So the rabbi says, of course, tell me how much he needs. How much? Whatever he wants. He says, listen, it's not, it's not who you think. It's, it's really, it's, it doesn't matter who it is. I'll give it to whoever it is. I'll give the money. He says, well, it's actually your brother. And at that point, Obviously, this guy goes white and um, says, my brother? Yes, your brother. He's in a very poor situation. And of course, he gives him the money and helps his brother. But the message here is we always look outside of ourselves for peace. And very little do we look inside of ourselves for peace. I once was asked, how can it be that in Jewish prayers we say, Sim shalom tova uvracha aleinu. On us, and on the Jewish people. You don't want peace in the world? Why is the prayer for peace in the silent prayer? On us and on the Jewish people. You don't want it on the rest of the world? So I think, and this is the answer that I gave them. It was on a Shabbat table and it put me on the spot. But the answer I gave them, and I think it's truth, is that Judaism believes that peace starts within your home. We call it Shalom Bayit. Peace starts within you, deep down from within. Because if you ain't got no peace within here, you ain't going to have any peace with anyone in the world. That's just how it's going to work. We talk so much of making peace with everybody else, but if I'm angry from within, there's no way I'm going to have peace with anyone else. So that's why the prayer says actually, Sim Shalom put peace on us. And on the Jewish people. I'm going to share with you my screen. I have a, a lot of information here. But the very first aspect that I wanted to get to is when we even talk about peace, why are we always talking about peace outside of ourselves when so much peace needs to be made within? I believe that if we watch um, violent movies of things that are violent, listen to music that's violent, which is the common thing of today, you know, it, just because I'm not actively being violent, that's not making me peaceful from within. I, I don't think, I don't see how listening to violence, watching violence, somebody told me you have to watch the videos of what's going on in the world, you know, like, no, I'm not going to watch them. I don't care. Uh, you know, now there's a, there's a shooting in Atlanta. I don't want to see the video and I will not see the video because violence to me, first of all, it's not going to help me know the argument or not. And second of all, violence to me, is irrelevant. I'm not the judge. I'm not in the court. And, and it's going to affect me. It's bad for my soul. I need to be peaceful from within. And when we say peaceful from within, I mean 
avoiding myself from so much negativity that we say to ourselves, oh, that's fine because I'm not actually actively doing it. So since I'm not actively doing it, I'm just talking about it, watching movies about it, or spending hours of days of my days thinking about it, then I am not being peaceful. That's going to explode at some point. And that's not healthy. So let me just share with you my page. And I have so much to share. Peace is one of the most complex topics in Judaism. And I'm going to show you why. It's it's beyond us in some ways. So let me just show you, uh, share my screen. The last part of the class, but I just want to start with this in case I don't get there later on. So peace starts from within. The greatest battle is the one from within. That's just my quote. And I believe it's true. There's one great rabbi says the greatest distance from one place on earth to the other is the distance between your mind and your heart. That's the greatest distance in the world because we're so far uh, in, in, we're in, within ourselves. Our mind is telling us one thing and our feelings are telling us one thing. Our intellect is telling us one thing. Our emotions are telling We're going through the biggest battle within ourselves all the time. So we're not really in peace within ourselves. And we're going to see that as long as I'm, in, I'm alive, I'm not fully in peace with myself. We're going to talk about that as well. But here's another great quote. You, are, you only step on someone's toes if you are close to them. This is, uh, was said by the great singer of Shlomo Kolbach, but it's very true. Meaning if some random person tells me, hey, dude, you look like an idiot. I'm not going to get as upset about it as if... Um, you know, my, my friend tells me or my spouse or my kids tell me something like that, right? You get more hurt by those that are closest to you, which means to say that those are the places we need to work on ourselves the most in strengthening our relationships with the most. Hey, it's easier to demand peace in the world than demand it within yourself. That's also something that I'm writing and I really believe in that. Because to work on yourself, that takes effort. To demand it from anyone else and say that you want it doesn't take any effort. You, you, can, you can go actively talking about peace. You can talk about peace all day. Listen to this. You can have a therapist that helps people in marriage all day, and he's really good at it. But with his own marriage, it's not working so well. How come? Because with everyone else, you don't have to work on it. With yourself, you do. Okay, that's the idea. You can have somebody who's, um, who's advocating for peace all day long, advocating for peace. That's his job. But when they find out, uh, when they do some research, they find out that from his own home, there's not so much peace going on. What's going on? Because to make peace within yourself is much more difficult than making peace with the entire world. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Easier to demand peace in the world than within yourself. We say every day, when we finish our prayer, we say, Amen. So we say, He who places peace on us and all of Israel. That's how we end off our prayer. Because peace is, peace is so important. He who makes peace in the upper worlds will place peace on us, meaning God, who's the ultimate definition of peace. It's actually one of his names. So because he is the source of it, Judaism says only he can place that 
on us. And that's why we say, He who makes peace up there will bring peace to us down here. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about this in the letter Shin and the Hebrew of it, which is the word for Shalom. But the Gaon of Vilna famously says that our purpose of life is actually to break our bad characters that we were brought up with, that we were born in, and eventually overcome them and change myself to be better, to come to a being, basically, a more peaceful person. So Judaism believes that is your purpose of life, is to become more peaceful or more in tune from within, meaning your soul and your body needs to come more in tune with each other. When you start off in this world, you, your hands are closed. When a person leaves this world, the hands are open. Because when we come into this world, we start just taking. We want to take, take, take. But as we grow and we develop, we actually feel the need to fill our purpose, which is to give and change ourselves into a better person. So that's actually what the Gaon of Vilna says. He says, our purpose of this world is to break our bad character and develop ourselves into being a better person. The Orchot Sadikim says, the root of all arguments and most of bad, tra- bad traits is pride. So if somebody gets into an argument, most likely the reason why they're not giving in is because they have pride from within and that's what's holding them back from being peaceful with the other person. And again, we see here's in Pirkei Avot, it says, Hillel said, be the student of Aharon. I'm going to share with you the, the link of this. It's going to be on our website on agelit.com slash classes. But here again, Hillel said, be the student of Aharon, love peace, pursue peace, love the creations and bring them close to Torah. By the way, that's where the word Kiruv comes from, which is the organization or the motto of the organization that we have, which is to bring people close to Judaism. How do you bring people close to Judaism? You have to do two things first. You have to love peace, then pursue it. You can only pursue peace if you love peace first. Let me ask you, does love peace mean something from within or something from without? Uh purportedly something from within yeah i mean pursuing peace seems to me like an action that i need to take and that's from without of me right to others but the loving of peace that's deep from within and you see the language here you should love peace from in first first it should be within you before you actually pursue in others love the creations and bring them close to torah so the way to bring people close to judaism in general, and to Torah and the values of Torah is through love and through peace. So uh, that's a very profound um, statement. But here again, this is the idea. Peace starts from within. You can't demand peace to others if you're not peaceful from within yourself. So let me just jump straight to the beginning and let's define or redefine peace, okay? Now, Judaism wants you to be peaceful. It says that the Torah is peaceful. We have a song for that. It says, <speaking in Hebrew> means its ways are pleasant and all of its paths are peaceful. So Judaism definitely does believe in peace. But let's go straight um, to the beginning, which is where I'm going to give you some insight. 
The first point I want to tell you is that peace by definition means there is a conflict. Now that's a whole new uh, uh, concept. But we are wrong when we think, when I ask people, what is peace? So they say when, you know, you're comfortable, when you're relaxed, when no one's bothering you. Well, we think of it like that because we think uh, of the ultimate pleasure as comfort, right? We think as, we, we, we understand that the more stuff I have, the happy I'm going to be. And obviously that's wrong, right? We, we're in a world of decadence. And the more things I own, the better I'm going to have, the better my life is going to be, the happier I'm going to be. And what stuff gives me is comfort. It doesn't necessarily give me uh, peace and it doesn't necessarily give me happiness. Okay, so because we associate our happiness with uh, or our pleasure with stuff, with things, so then our problem now becomes that we think, okay, so... Peace means I'm comfortable. No one's bothering me. So here's some examples, and I want to prove to you how no conflict at all or the absence of any conflict at all cannot be peace. Okay? Uh, here's some examples. Tell me if you agree with the following statements. Here's a statement. A couple that does not dispute is not a couple. They are just sharing space. What I'm trying to say is that a couple that has no communication uh, means, and they don't, they don't show or they don't discuss their differences because no two people are alike. This is my understanding that there's no two people are alike. And you are going to have differences because you both have your own interests. And sometimes they conflict. So, you know, we, we, we imagine a perfect couple is when they never argue. Actually, a perfect couple that never argues is a, is a very dangerous couple. Like, that means they just share space. They have the same house, the same kids, the same money that they, did, they have to spend and, and uh, same expenses. But they're not really married because they're not having that form of, um, you know, discussion between themselves when i think something's different and i talk it out with you if there's no communication it might look like a perfect couple but that is not a couple that's just two people sharing the same space you you can have people that officially got married but they only got married with paper they never got married with um with their hearts you can, you know marriage is something which we do in a document and it's real it, it would be considered real but their marriage is only with a paper. It was only the ceremony. But the rest of it is never a dispute. The minute there's an argument, oh, let's go. I'll go outside. You stay here. And we don't... I'm, I'm trying to prove that um, when, when there's no dispute at all, there's no space for peace. There's no conflict. There's no space for peace. Okay, here's another example. A parent that does not rebuke their child does not educate their child. Anyone agree with that one? It depends. Really? So your child's putting his hands in the electricity, the electric uh, socket, and you're just going to be quiet and not tell him off? That's why I said it depends. I would tell him to stop in that case. But it depends on what you mean by rebuke and how you're re going about rebuking. I didn't say if you... I didn't say, I didn't say in this statement 
a parent that rebukes harshly. I didn't say, I just said a parent that does not rebuke. All right, because it wasn't stated, I wasn't leaving room for ambiguities. So that's fair. Okay, but he, or maybe I should have written uh, a parent that never rebukes does not educate. True or not true? I'd agree more with that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. that as well. Yeah, I'll change. Um, yes. Can we go back to the first one really quick? Yes. Um, the couple that does not dispute is not a couple. Yes. They're just sharing space. It's a um, harsh statement. But... I heard this one. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I heard this wonderful quote that it was like, um, uh, marriage is a conversation. It's like, a, it's an agreement to have a lifelong conversation with this one person. Right. And I think that that's what you're saying there is that in a conversation, you don't always agree. You don't always see eye to eye, but you're willing to try and see that other person's perspective, which I think is what you have been teaching us for seven weeks now. Yes. Um, but, um, so I think it wouldn't be a true couple, and and also with a parent, like you, you need to have conversation. You need to, like you're saying, you need to have some conflict. Um, and also with a child, I think you have to try and see their point of view, try and see it from their perspective. Of course, that's why it says uh, in in, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about how to rebuke, right? It has to be done in a soft way. It, also, it says in in. Um, Proverbs, which means educate your child according to the child's way. Every child has different energies and and different uh, ways of working. And if you don't fi- if you don't think of that child's way, you're going to hurt the child. A teacher that expects every child to be exactly the same is making a mistake. Uh, as a group, there's certain protocols that need to be taken, but as an individual. Every child needs to be educated individually, uh, praised if they need the praise. You know, every, every child needs to be analyzed. And that's why teachers like to do research of who the child is. What's the family background? Where is he coming from? What's his story? It's very important for parenting and teaching. Um, the aim. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's not me. Shlomo Melech. But the aim of educating your child actually is... The next, the next verse in that statement, which is, which means that even when the child gets old, that's the goal. The goal of education isn't just to educate. It's that even when you're not around, he'll remain in the style of education that you gave them. Meaning it doesn't just stay when you're there on top of the child. That doesn't prove yet that you've achieved ultimate education. Ultimate form of education is when you're away from them, then they still remember you and the education that you gave them. So that's why it says, Gam also when the child gets old, mena, don't, he, won't re, he, will, he will never leave the education you gave them, but only on condition that you educated them in the way that they need to be educated based on that child. If you expected that child to be like every other child, that won't happen. But that's that's another whole proverb we can make a whole class on education. It's beautiful. I always was fascinated, even before I had kids, on the concept of education. Always. It's always been something which is such a fascination to me. But um, so So here's another statement. Death and sleep may seem peaceful, 
but it's not used as the definition of peace. We might say in, uh, in, uh, in English, rest in peace when someone dies, but it's not, it's not the definition of peace, you know? What's the, what's the, what's the, I hope, I hope they're dead. Well, that means you don't think very peacefully of them. You see, when, when the other side is dead, that means you're opposing the other side. That's not peace. That's not peace. That's death. That's destroying the other view. If, if, if there's a dictatorship and the people aren't able to say their view because their view is shut down, and you say, wow, this country is very peaceful. That's not peace, right? That's, that's not peace because that's death. You're shutting down the other side. You're, you're shutting down the opposition. So what I'm trying to say here is if we shut down the opposition, if we, if, if we stop the other side completely, then peace isn't even an equation here. Peace is only an equation when both are existing and both can, can, can state their opinion, can say their views. Otherwise, peace cannot happen. Now we need to say, okay, so now they're saying their views, now that, but they, they oppose each other, so that's not peaceful. Okay, but one thing's for sure. When one side is shut down completely, death, or, or whatever it is, whether it's death or sleep, or you, you, you put something on their mouth that they can't speak, then that's not peaceful. If you look at that picture, you look at that image of somebody speaking to someone and one guy's got his mouth covered and the other one's speaking, that's not an image of peace, right? An image of peace is when they're both speaking in a, in a, a form of dialogue. So what I'm trying to show here is that peace that has absolutely no conflict at all means that one side is being shut down. Peace, by definition, means that there is a form of conflict. We need to see what that is, but that's, that's first. It's to understand that there is a form of conflict. If we shut down the other side in any way, then we're killing the, the story of peace. Okay, here's another statement that people normally say. Peace is the absence of war. And that is very wrong. And the reason for that is for two, th two reasons. Number one is um, because, well, this is badly, badly written. I wrote this class today, right? But P, uh, the first thing is justice is needed in order to achieve peace sometimes. And that's not always something which is peaceful, right? We need justice in order to get to peace. And that may even need war. Here goes a statement from the Mishnah in Avot and in other places. This is a very powerful and important statement on peace. This is where it all stands. This is where everything lies. Right here in this statement. So Rabbi Chamir, Shimon Ben Gamil says, The world is sustained by three things. Law, truth, and peace. Meaning if you take any one of those three, you are killing the world, so to speak. So you need law or justice. Din is the literal translation. Truth is emet. And peace is shalom. He says you, all, you need all three in order to keep the world. He doesn't say you just need peace in order for the world to exist. 
That means that if the entire world was not in a war, there was no war in the entire world, that does not yet mean that the world is in peace. Right? You still need for the world to be absolute. It needs an element of truth, or it needs truth, and it needs, uh, it needs also justice. Okay? So you need justice, truth, and peace. Rabbi Muna says they are one. If law has been served, truth has been served, and peace has been served. Whenever, whenever there is a judgment, a mishpat, there is peace. And whenever there is peace, there is judgment. So, um, you know, there's, there's this concept of um, a, a system, a law, you know, the concept that people are going around with today, which is uh, disband the police or whatever, is a very dangerous thing. Um, because... We as Judaism believe that this is actually said also in Pekavot, that if not for the authority, if not for government, you have to pray for the peace of government because if not for the government, each person would swallow the other alive. If not for authority, we would all swallow each other alive. So however bad things may be right now, it will be a lot worse without a a court system without a justice system, if, even if you think that it's not perfect, no system is perfect. Every system needs to improve. But to say that we have to completely dismantle it is very, very dangerous. And in Judaism, we always pray, every Shabbat we pray, for the shlomash al-machut, for the peace of the, of the authority of every country. That is very, very not important. Really, that's not yes. really what dismantling the police is about. It's more like, about decentralizing the police. Okay, whatever. I mean, that's another discussion. It's political. I don't want to get into it. But I'm just saying, whether, whether you agree with it or not, I'm just saying, hey, we have to make a very clear distinction. And that's what you're doing, Omri. We have to make a clear distinction that we need authority. We need justice. We need a, a system where there is authority in our society. Without it, it's actually one of the Sheva Mitzvot Ben Enoch. It's a requirement for non-Jews also. So that's a thought that you should have. Okay. Um, here's another point. We have a rule that if somebody's coming to kill you, if here it goes, Medrash Rabbah, if one comes to kill you, you jump up to kill them first. How do we know that? Because the Torah tells us that we should surround the Midianites who try to destroy us. And we should smite them. And how can the Torah tell us to do such a thing? And then the Torah carries on and says, because they are surrounding you with their traps and they are prepared for you. So this is in Numbers chapter 25. And here clearly we see that uh, the rule, the Midrash actually on this explains, if one comes to kill you, you jump up to kill them first. That is a requirement in Judaism that we are not a passive religion. So you see that, yes, peace exists and it needs, uh, it needs to exist and it's a very important value within us, but not if it's conflicting um, your own peace, your own existence. If somebody's coming to kill you, you have to and you're required to jump up and kill them first. So peace, justice and truth are all actually God's names. They're all different ways of describing God. He is a Dayan. He's uh, the Dayan Ha'emet. He's, uh, which means he gives ultimate justice, right? His name is Shalom. 
and his name is also Emet. We say, So he's got all these three attributes within one. It's very hard. And what do you do when these three are conflicting? This is, this is where the real argument comes in. For instance, if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, Hey, either you tell me where the money is or I kill you. And you could say, you, if you know, the, you know where the money is, and you could say, yes, I know exactly where the money is. Uh, David has got the money. And he, he lives not far from here. He lives two, and you really know where the money is. So you want to be truthful because Judaism says you have to say the truth. Well, in such a situation, of course, it's conflicting with peace because he's going to now run away. This murderer is going to run to David's home and try and kill him and take all his money. So actually, you're required to not say the truth in that situation and obviously say, I don't know, or I think he's in another town or something else that would make the person not go to David's home. You're allowed to lie for the sake of peace. We're going to talk about that. So peace, justice, and truth. The real question is what happens when they conflict each other? And they do. And that's why they are, re- they are listed here as three different entities that keep the world standing. Law, truth, and judgment. You, you understand how if there's no truth, there's going to be no law. If everyone's lying, then there's no trust. And then everyone's not going to want to keep to the law. No one's going to stick to the law. You need all three. These are three separate entities that need to come together. If there's no, if there's no truth, there's going to be no peace. People are not going to be in peace with each other. So you see how these are three separate entities, not all one. Today, when we talk about peace, people think of it as all one thing. You know, it's just, a, it's just, it's just yeah, we're peaceful, we're relaxed. You have to understand that there's three entities involved in getting us towards uh, the ultimate goal of peace, which is having law, having truth, and having peace as well. So we'll, we'll speak about when it contradicts each other. But peace is a call to action. Meaning, in Judaism, we don't just say um, peace is an absence of war, which is what we just, which is uh, number two. Peace is not the absence of war; it's a call to action. That's why it says, "Ohev shalom, rodef shalom." Love peace and pursue it. Right? Bakesh shalom veradfehu. Seek peace and chase after it. It's not good enough to just want it. But you have to actively do it. So um, this, is, this is very important because you might think, oh, two countries or a couple that are sitting in the same room and they're not arguing, they are peaceful. But that doesn't necessarily prove that there's peace yet um, because if there's no um, communication because they're angry with each other and there's no communication, they... they they might not, okay, fine, they're not physically hitting each other, but they're lacking peace from within. Even though they're not physically fighting, they're lacking peace. Two countries that are not fighting with each other are not yet in peace. It's only when they actually come to an agreement and they really believe in the agreement that they're going to actually be called into peace. So peace is not just the refraining from something it's refraining from a fight it's refraining from anger it's refra- it's not getting there or 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 coming to a point where we both come to an ultimate new place of agreement 
That's why the language is seek peace and pursue it. You have to do two things. One is seek it, want it. And the second is actually actively do things for it. This is a very interesting statement that's brought in Shemot Rabbah, which is a Medrash, which says the Torah was not particular in us chasing, on us chasing after mitzvot that are not in our hands of reach, right? No one says that um, Mali, Melody, and uh, Sarit need to go right now. They are required to travel right now to Africa and help the people that are, are poor. And they are not required to, right? Charity doesn't, is only required if it comes to you. If it doesn't come to you, so it's a nice thing to do. It's a, it's a, it's a moral obligation, but it's not the same as pursuing peace. Pursuing peace is actually something that you, you're meant to actively do. So that's, this is the statement here. Because it says, seek peace and pursue it, the Torah was not particular in us chasing after other mitzvot. You were only commanded to keep them if it comes your way, right? To do them if it comes your way, but not to pursue them. But with peace, it says, seek peace in your place and pursue peace in another place. Meaning if you know that you can help somebody, a couple that is having an argument, your parents that are having an argument, if you know that you have the ability to bring peace in your, in your parents' home, you are required to actively go there and, and, and bring peace there, which is a fascinating concept, which is unique to peace in itself. Right, Because we have to be like Hashem and He brings peace into the world and that's what we need to do as well. So, so far what we've come up with is that peace requires some form of conflict and peace is not the absence of war. The absence of war does not prove that there's peace yet. You can have two countries that are not in war but they are still very angry with each other. They have not proven peace yet. Okay, so let's look at the letter Shin, which is the first letter of Shalom. And that normally tells me the essence of the word. Okay, so let's just look at the letter Shin. Okay, Shin is this little letter over here. And we're going to look at the letter. And so you see that it has three spikes. It's like this. That's what a Shin looks like. It has three spikes. And it represents peace. Uh, in itself, but the, the ultimate definition of the shin is shinui, leshanen, which means to change. Okay, the letter shin means change. Words that start with shin refer to change. Let me give you some examples. Shinui is the word for change in itself, and it means to change. Shinaim uh, is the word for teeth, and they what they do is they actually change the, the, the food from where it was to a new status, they bite it, they chew it, so that you can actually eat it and bring it into your body. So, so teeth is actually the process of breaking down things and changing them so that I can actually eat them, right? Somebody without teeth has it very difficult to eat, to break down their food. Uh, sheker is a lie, and that starts off with a shin, because there too, somebody is trying to change reality by bringing a lie into place so if i want change i might actually lie in order to get it i might fabricate reality in order to get my change otherwise people aren't going to listen to me so shekel starts off with a shin too because there also it's a person calling for change shover means to break 
And that too, you are changing something from the status that it is to a new status which is broken. Uh, shalom, by the way, also when you break, when somebody breaks down, that's because they're going through a change. They're going through this recognition that there's a new situation that they need to deal with, right? So the idea, the concept of breaking in general is the concept of change. Shalom is peace. And that represents change as well. So the question is, what's being changed here? But we're going we're gonna to look at that because this is the new definition of uh, shalom that people uh, don't know about. So shalom really comes from the definition of change. Peace means change. And uh, shalom is the same word as shalem, which means to, com- to be complete. So shlemut and shalom is the same root. And to be in peace means you've come complete. Uh, that's the completion. When you actually complete yourself, then and you've gone through that change, and you're now a complete person, that means you are in shalom, you are in peace. So let's, let's just an- analyze this a second. The letter shin has three sides, right? It has three parts to it. And this represents two opposites, right? These are two extreme thoughts, two different ways of of living, two, uh, let's say, two opposing thoughts. And they need to come as one into the middle, which is the shin. They need to come and renew themselves into a new entity. The center is the renewed understanding or the renewed uh, existence, so to speak, that a person gets to once they come into peace. So three actually also represents a completion. If you have two strings, then you have two separate entities. The minute you have three, you have a triangle, right? If you have one string, so the edges are not touching anything, right? They're they're alone. You have two strings, then as long as you have two strings, there's two different entities. They can't be connected. But when you have three strings, they can. You can now form a triangle. So the three of the shin also represents that once you have that that renewed definition or the renewed understanding, the renewal, then you have a completion where everything comes together. So peace is best achieved with a third party, like Aharon in Judaism. We, we, we look at Aharon, who is the man of peace, and he would always run in between arguments and say, no, he really loves you. No, he really didn't mean it. No, but I'm so angry. No, he didn't mean it. He really loves you. He would actually lie or twist the truth in order to get more peace within people. So peace is definitely best achieved with a third party. And that's again why the shin is split into three parts. But um, the ultimate idea is peace is creating a new reality, which is that the two opposing views now come a new view. And that's where I want to get to in this discussion tonight, which is peace is not destroying the opposite side. Like we said, if I destroy the opposite side, I kill their view, right? Mr. A and Mr. B, I kill his view, he's dead. That's not peace. That's just me destroying the other side. Peace means that um, there are two opposing views that come as one into the center. They renew their way of understanding. They renew their way of thinking. And it has to be done through that person. You can't enforce the other person to think like you. 
It has to be done through their own effort to renew them. Okay, it's, it's, this is why peace is so difficult, is because who says the other side's going to agree with me? Right? But renewing your way of thinking and renewing their way of thinking, they need to renew it. The minute I force them to change, I, they are not re- I'm just shutting them down. That's not peaceful yet. So uh, the third string is not, uh, so that's what I said before. Peace is creating a new reality for which both people, both entities can now exist. It's a new place, right? So let me give you an example. You want to be at peace with your parents. You have lots of, ex- lots of arguments with your parents. So how do you make peace with them? Well, if you're going to try and force them to change, one, that is wrong, it's unethical, because Judaism says you can't change your parents. You're not actually actually allowed to. Your parents are people that you need to respect. So trying to change your parents or trying to force them to change into your belief is really uh, not peaceful. It's not a peaceful manner. Um, because what you're doing is you're forcing them, or in any way, you're forcing them to change their view. So you have to get them to agree with your view. So how do you get to that? Let's say you have a big argument with your parents. You try and have a discussion. You say, okay, let's make a time where we can talk. If that's not the time now, because they're heated and they're angry or they're dealing with money right now, so maybe that's not the time. Maybe tonight, we'll speak tonight. Can I have a time with you to speak? That's a good way of doing it. Make a time to speak. So you make the time to speak. You sit down and you start talking with each other. And you come to realize that there's no way you're going to be able to talk them into understanding your side of your view. The only left, the only thing you have left is to change yourself. Once you change yourself, you are now putting yourself into the middle place. Okay? We need to change ourselves and the way that we think of them because it's very hard to change others, so that we are now renewed, put into a new place so that I can achieve peace. I can't achieve peace if I'm in the same place as I always was, and they are in the same place that they always were. The anger is just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. If I find that yesterday I had an argument with my parents because of a certain issue, I, I, I'm, who's, most likely I'm going to have that argument again. And if I had that argument yesterday and I had the argument again in a week, I'm going to have that argument again. It's most likely going to happen unless I renew myself. I put myself in a new place. I could try and renew them, but that's much harder. I could try and help them get to a new place. But the ultimate way to get them to a new place as well is to change myself, to change the way I think of them, to change the way I talk to them. Maybe it's a communicational issue. But to not change myself at all, I am not going to achieve peace with my parents. I'm just going to stay in the same place as I always was. So what I'm trying to tell you is that in order to achieve peace, and I'm repeating this a number of times, in order to achieve peace means, by definition, I have to renew something. I have to renew the status that I'm in. And that's actually why the ultimate peace in Judaism is a renewed reality in the future, which is when Mashiach comes. Because right now in the world that we're in, um, we can't change the way certain realities are. But what we hope for is the ultimate place of peace, which is where things get renewed. So let me just show 
how things will be renewed. The sages and the prophets did not long for the messianic era in order, for the, in order to rule the world. Judaism does not think that we need to now rule over the world. And that's our goal. Every religion has a goal, right? Our utopia is not to subdue the nations, but to be free to pursue Torah and its wisdom. At that time, there will be no hunger and no war. That's a renewed reality. No jealousy and no strife. That's a renewed reality. The entire world will be occupied with acquiring the knowledge of God. As it says, the world will be full of the knowledge of God. That's a new reality. We hope that the world will know Hashem as the waters cover the sea. It says just like the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of God will be entire will be in the entirety of the world. So in order for ultimate peace to come, we need, according to Judaism, we need that the world will know God. Because until then, then everyone has their own God. My God is uh, politics. And the other person's God is their money. And the other person, and if you infringe on my God, we are going to argue. So actually, according to Judaism, the ultimate place for peace is when everything is renewed to a point where everyone knows God, and including me, including us as Jews, because we think that we're not on the ultimate level of knowing God, of being connected. When I say knowledge of God, it means being connected to God. So when there's an ultimate place where the world recognizes that the creator of the universe is not just this dude hanging up there ready to pounce on me, but the concept of God is that he's involved in the entirety of the world and everything that exists is just stupidity in comparison, right? When we, when we look at all the arguments, we'll think to ourselves, this is all a waste. What's the big deal? Has anyone here argued over 20 bucks? It's 20 bucks. Yeah, everything you passed it. Argued. That's such a waste. It's all it is is 20 bucks. When you come to the realization, right, that everything is so minute in comparison to the reality of the world, right? We, we th- it, arguments come because you think that th- certain things are a reality. This is everything. This can happen. That you think um, my, 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 my laptop or my phone is everything. The minute my phone breaks, that's it. My life is over. And you broke my phone and I'm never going to forgive you. And I'm going to, well, if you, if you come to the recognition that stuff, physical stuff is not everything. And there's a, there's a, there's a higher power. There's a concept of Hashem, not just the idea of God but the concept of Hashem. So then you recognize that everything is so minute. Life is so short anyway. So things change. Our viewpoint changes. We come to a new reality. That's what we want. Look at this for a new reality. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against another nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We believe that in the future, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid, the baby goat. The calf, the beast of prey, and the fatling together. I don't know what that means, but I just got the translation. With a little boy to herd them. Meaning, look at this. The cow and the bear shall graze. That means grain. They will eat grain. They won't, the bear won't look to eat meat. The young shall lie down together, and the lion, like the ox, shall eat straw. We actually believe that when there's peace within us, the ultimate point of peace within us, then there'll be peace in the animals of the world as well. We influence the animals as well. A baby shall play over a viper's hole and an infant pass his hand over an adder's den. Okay, so there he goes, a, the utopian hope 
for ultimate peace, which we are not in right now. But I'm just trying to show you how, according to Judaism, peace is a renewed reality. Peace only comes when we enter a renewed reality. If we stay in the same place as I always was, I'm not going to be peaceful. If I'm arguing with my parents, if I'm arguing with my spouse, and I'm still arguing tomorrow, then it's because I'm in the same place as I was. I need to renew myself, put myself in a new place, either with the way I think, renew my way of thinking, change my way of being. Okay, that's the ultimate place. And that's why, by the way, peace starts from within. That's why peace starts with it, from within. You know why peace starts from within? Because it's about renewing yourself. It's about renewing the place that you're in. And, and the only way to renew yourself is to renew yourself from within. Right? That's why being in peace with others starts deeply from within. This is the exact reason why more than anything it starts within. So I'll just finish off. Okay, we spoke about all that. But what happens when peace and truth conflict? Okay, that there's a famous statement that no, you can't have all good values fit in the same place. For instance, right, you can want... Uh, equality we can want everyone to be treated equally but then that will infringe is that a value is equality a value to everyone that everyone should be treated e equally anyone who disagree besides for omri no no anyone disagree is that is is uh uh being in a state of equality or believing in equality a value is that a value that people should be treated equally anyone it's a good value to have. Okay, so that value infringes on the value of freedom. Freedom means that I have the ability or the freedom to do whatever I want, right? Or to, to be myself. Well, freedom actually can infringe on equality. For instance, if, if we have, let's say, a free market, free, money is one way of explaining freedom. It's not the only way. But if we have a free market, then you're not going to have equality. You're going to have some Amazons and you're going to have some uh, Walmarts and you're going to have some, but you're not going to have equality. And that's just the way it is. We, we believe in both. Judaism believes in equality too, but we also believe in freedom. Okay, so, so it's very difficult. That's because we're in a physical world and everything is limited. It's def very difficult to have all values mushed in one. This is, by the way, the reason why politics is so messy is because everyone's coming from a good place, right? But it ends up evil. But everyone's really coming from a good place. I believe in a certain value because I saw that the other way is dangerous, right? So I believe in a certain value. The extreme of, of um, the extremism of equality is probably socialism, Right? The, extreme, the extremism of freedom is anarchy and danger and, and abuse and, and, and abuse of power. So, so there's, there's dangers on both sides, right? So, so we have to be aware that they're both values in Judaism. But what happens when they conflict? This is the problem. So truth and peace conflict. Truth and uh, peace and justice can conflict. And Judaism says we need to work on all of them. 
And here's some examples where truth and peace were actually changed for the sake of peace. Okay, let me just, there's two examples here. One is God to Abraham. So when the angels came to visit Abraham to tell him that him and Sarah are going to have a child, Sarah laughed and she said, after I am worn out and my husband is old, when she said she's worn out, she meant she doesn't have a cycle anymore. She doesn't have the monthly cycle. And her husband is old. They were 100 years old. Will I now have this pleasure? She started laughing. I'm going to have a child. So God then in prophecy goes to Abraham and he says, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? She didn't say that she was old. God changed it. God changed the language to Abraham. You hear what's going on? He changed it. Sarah didn't say, I am old. She said, my husband is old. But God twisted the truth for the sake of the peace between Abraham and Sarah. He didn't want Abraham to get angry with Sarah. How could you say such a thing? So God changed his language, changed the truth for the sake of peace in the home of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, This is from this, the Talmud says, Meshanim lashon mipnei hashalom. We can alter the tongue, we can alter our language for the sake of peace. Notice how he doesn't say you can lie for the sake of peace, but we can alter our tongue. We can change our language for the sake of peace. So the same story, similar story happens with Joseph and his brothers after, he, after the father dies, after Jacob dies. They said, your father left us instructions before he died. And this is what he said. He told us to tell Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive them. Forgive the sins of the servants of Hashem, of your father. The the, the brothers of Joseph went to Joseph and said, listen, they lied. And they said, your father left a will saying you have to forgive your brothers. And and Joseph knew that it was a lie because uh, Joseph spoke to his father. And if his father would have felt the need to say it he would have said it so for that joseph cried because he knew they lied and again from here we learn so the ultimate uh, in, in a place of conflict when peace justice and truth are conflicting with each other and they always will we have to always remember that if i'm pursuing peace and i'm changing my language for the sake of peace, I need to ask myself, am I doing it in a way that's peaceful? If I'm pursuing justice, I need to ask myself, am I doing it in a way that's truthful and peaceful? Right? Some people fight for justice and they go around looting. That's not, that's not fighting for justice. Okay? Why? Because that's not peaceful. It says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tildof. You should pursue Justice is tzedek, tzedek, justice, justice shall you pursue. It says it twice. Why twice? One of the explanations given is because the pursuit of justice in itself needs to be done in a way of justice. And this is the language. You need all three. You can't pursue justice and lie, right? You want there to be a better government in the world. So lie your story. This is a lot of what people do, a lot of what you know, uh, what news is doing recently. It's twisting the truth for the sake of justice. You can't, you've got to do it in as much of a truthful way in order to get justice. In order to get peace, you have to be you could change the language 
for the sake of peace. Peace definitely overrides truth. But at the end of the day, it doesn't say you should outright la'ish. It says, So when it comes to pursuing peace, justice and truth, you have to make sure you're pursuing all three. Some people pursue just peace and they ignore truth. Some people pursue just justice and they ignore peace and truth. Right? We have to make sure that if we're ever pursuing something, any of these three, which are the foundations of the world, I need to make sure that I'm not conflicting with the others and completely ignoring the others. It will conflict with the others, but I can't completely ignore. It must be done in a truthful way. In a, in a, for instance, my child's misbehaving. So that means I need to bring justice, so to speak, in my home. Uh, they, I found my child steal, right? So um, I can't, I can't change the truth of my child, meaning I can't say things that are much worse than what my child really did. In order to bring justice to my child, should I lie and say that they did much worse than what they did? I can't do that. And I also have to do it in a peaceful way. If I want to educate my child, I need to do it in, in a peaceful way. So these are the three values that are needed in order to getting peace, peace, justice, and truth. These are three values that are always needed in order to getting a real tr- peace. And peace is the renewal of oneself in order to becoming a new person that is able to be peaceful. So that's really the, the conversation here. I have a whole load of quotes from the Talmud on peace in general. Um, and they're really beautiful. Some of them are very, very profound and beautiful to making you understand how great peace is it's one of god's names like we said so is truth and so is justice um but uh, but that's the that's the idea in general so just to recap because there was a lot of information over there the greatest place where peace really starts is within yourself that's where peace really starts starts within yourself being more peaceful within yourself happy within yourself not angry with the world not angry with people no matter what they do right this is this is the ultimate place here that's the ultimate place of peace the second point is that uh peace needs some element of conflict in order to get there right peace is not the absence of war because sometimes you need justice and and justice um is part of getting towards peace so in order to get to justice, sometimes you need war. Like if someone's coming to kill you. Um, peace, it needs you to be active and actually going out there and doing something, not just saying you were peaceful, but actually actively going out there. Two countries that are not in a war doesn't mean that they're peaceful. It just means they're not fighting, but they are not in peace within themselves. Okay, so we came to the conclusion that Shin, which is in three parts, represents the idea of Two opposing views coming to a third view, coming to a renewed place. And that's what peace peace really is, is the renewal of oneself. By the way, the ultimate peace within yourself is through living life. And that's what the Garner Vilna said. You start off in the world with an evil inclination and a good inclination. And your aim is to overcome your evil inclination all the time to a point where you're in peace with yourself. You're in harmony with yourself. So that's the ultimate goal of living as well within yourself. So the letter Shin is three parts and it's really about renewing myself. That's what peace is. It's I'm able to renew myself, the creation of a new reality. And that creation of a new reality actually ultimately is in the world to come or in the 
times of Mashiach, Ba'olam Haba. When Mashiach comes, that's going to be an ultimately a renewed place of peace when the world knows that there's a creator and we will be in a greater state of peace. Then finally, we spoke about peace, justice, and truth and how they conflict. And um, we are allowed to change the truth for the sake of peace. But even if we are pursuing peace or pursuing justice or truth, we have to make sure that all these three are in line with each other. You could pursue peace, but make sure you're doing it in a way of justice. Pursue justice, make sure you're doing it in a way of peace and truth. Pursue truth, make sure you're doing it peacefully and in a way of justice. So that's really the discussion. Any questions, thoughts, ideas? Uh, there's a lot of information here. I hope you all understood it. Any thoughts? Gabe, what's your, what's your thoughts on this discussion? Loved it, man. Okay. Thank you. As usual. Um, I was, I'm really taking it all in. I actually wanted to see, I wanted you to read a couple of those quotes at the bottom. Really? Yeah. Let's hear a couple. I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep everyone for too long, which is why. Um, so we said, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, in the merit of our unity, in the merit of our peace, we receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. As it says, and he camped by the mountain. And it's in a singular form. He, Bayichen in Hebrew, words are put into single or plural form. So Hashem says, it doesn't say he, but it's just singular form. Uh, Hashem says, since the Jewish people hate arguments and are loving peace, uh, they have become one camp and I will give them my Torah. So in order for us to receive the Torah, we had to be in peace. It says that because of the lack of peace, the temple was destroyed. Sinat chinam, hatred between each other. Um, here is, um, gonna, great is peace because the name of God is peace. Loved is peace as God placed it in the heavens. As it says, he who makes peace in the upper worlds will place peace on us. Meaning it starts up. Peace starts really from the worlds above. God never found a vessel that holds blessings for the Jewish people like peace. The greatest blessing for somebody is to be in peace. It also says that if somebody's in an argument and he holds his mouth from, re- from responding, he, he will get, the, this is from this statement, you will get the most blessing. You can ask for anything you want. That's the greatest moment of prayer. One of the greatest moments of prayers in Judaism is not in the synagogue, but it's actually when someone curses you out and you you hold your mouth and you listen that moment is the greatest moment of prayer according to judaism it's one of the greatest moments of prayer uh there's once there's a famous story of a, a rabbi who said to a couple that couldn't have children uh he he told him uh the rabbi sa- said to the couple i think it was because they themselves had a dispute once so the rabbi said to the couple the next time you see somebody get embarrassed in public and he doesn't respond, run to that person and ask for a blessing. And it's a true story. It's something which recently happened not, not too many years ago. And the man recalls that immediately after he was blessed, uh, nine months, a year later, he was blessed with a child. When he found somebody who was gotten embarrassed in synagogue or something and he ran up to him and said, please bless me, bless me. He gave him a bracha that he should have a child and a year later he had a child. So it's a very powerful 
Um, powerful statement. Uh, the Torah is called peace. That's according to Judaism, right? It's peace. The master of peace desires peace for all his creatures. Great is peace since the world only survives through peace and Torah. And the Torah is all peace. As it says, its ways are pleasant and its paths are peace. By the way, Shabbat is always introduced with Shabbat Shalom. Peaceful Shabbat. That's also because we enter a new zone, so to speak, where we're now in a new place. Avoiding from uh, after, it's actually after the six days of work, after the six days of conflict, we've now entered a new zone, which is like the world to come which is a place, place of peace. So again, you see that renewal that we enter into that brings us to a state of peace. It's, it's the state where there's no... Um, it's after conflict that we've entered a place of no conflict. Is, so, is yes. it better to say uh, Shabbat Shalom over Good Shabbos? Good <laughs> uh, Shabbos is, is the English way of saying it, but Shabbat Shalom is really the... The ultimate way, not because I'm Sephardic right now, but because we say that in, in a lot of our prayers, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom, we sing Shalom as we bring in Shabbat. So Shabbat is clearly called Shalom in many places. Are there any thoughts, ideas, anything else? There are many, many more quotes, by the way. I just didn't have the time to, uh, I, I kind of formed this class all today. Didn't have the time to bring in... Uh, some more quotes, but there are so many more. It's endless. Should we call it a night? Ooh. It was fun. This is really good, Rabbi Jack. Thank you. Thank you.